Good morning, Journey. Oh, come on. The nine o'clock was better than that. Morning, Journey. Morning. All right. Uh, we are, uh, I'm Jared. I'm blessed to serve on council here. And uh, we're going to do a family update here this morning. And so we want to do it as a family. So anyone who's on staff or on council, if you'd come on up, that'd be fantastic. So over the past six months, council and our lead team have been working together to determine how to best position Journey Church to be able to share and live the gospel with our, our friends and our neighbors here in our valley. And um, lots of prayer and thoughtful discussion over that time frame has led us to, to make the decision to name a new lead pastor. And we're excited, and I'm really excited to be able to have the honor of doing this, to name this man, Bob Schwan, as lead pastor. Two services in a row that clapped. We're off to a good start. Just one more to go. So, um, so Bob's a guy of incredibly strong character. And if, if you're around here at all during the week, you know, a, a tireless work ethic. And, and we know his love for the Lord and his just passion for discipling folks is, is really what journey needs to lead us vision-wise and action-wise um, to reach everyone in the Gallatin Valley. So please join us as we commission Bob as lead pastor and pray not only for him, but, but with him. Would you all stand, please, and if you're comfortable, extend a hand of blessing over Bob as we pray over him. Our Father, we are just so excited and so thankful that we get the privilege of commissioning Bob today to be our lead pastor. We are so thankful for the leadership he's shown the last few years here at Journey, for the qualities we've grown to love in Bob. As we're all looking at leadership as a nation right now with the election coming up, we are just so thankful that God, that Bob is a man after God's own heart. We thank you for his integrity and his honesty. Thank you that we have found him so trustworthy. Thank you for his tender heart that shows how much he loves people. We thank you that he is humble, that he even shares his failures with us in things that are so important as wakeboarding. We just thank you, dear God, for his passion for those who are lost, his passion for discipleship and for building leaders around journey. We know, dear God, that much will be required of Bob as he takes this lead pastor role. There'll be more demands, more responsibilities. We just ask that you'll meet those for him. We ask that you'll put a wall of protection around Bob and Carmen and the family, that you'll protect them from the attacks of the evil one. We ask that you will give Bob courage to lead well during hard times, give him the strength, the determination when he has to make tough decisions. We ask that you will give him the patience to have a listening ear to those who are hurting around him. Give him spiritual insight into your word as he leads us and preaches and teaches for us in the coming years. We ask that you will give him a clear vision for the future, for journey, and a clear vision as how you would have him lead. 
We ask that that fire and that passion in his heart may never grow dim, but that it may even grow brighter and his passion stronger as through his leadership we as journey reach out to those around us and we try to bring the good news to this valley and beyond. We ask through that many may come to know Jesus as their Lord and Savior. You are a good, good Father, and we pray this all in Jesus, your Son's name. Amen. Definitely sit down. I just want to... It's a, it's a, I, th- I thought it wouldn't be as emotional the second time, but it, it just is. Uh, it, mean, it means a lot. I'm really excited, very honored, very humbled to get to serve on a staff team like this and get to serve with a family like this. And so I just want to let you know that I'm very, very uh, excited and honored to be a part of serving alongside all of you. I also get the, the privilege of getting to share another announcement this morning. The council and has made another decision as well that they're going to be in the process of adding an additional teaching pastor to our staff here to be a part of our team as well. Um, we're just right now in the process of moving ahead on a formal search. Uh, the reason behind that, just uh, you can ask more questions about it, but we've always had a team approach to teaching around here. We want to develop teachers and leaders and communicators because part of what we want to do is we want to even train younger people to be able to go from journey to plant churches. We want this to be a sending place. And so we're always going to have one vision that God has called us to, one vision to raise the name of Christ high in our valley and beyond because we want people to come to know him and come to a relationship with him. But there's one vision, but there's going to be multiple voices that talk to us about what God is saying to us at any given time. So we want to keep you updated as that formal search moves along, and we will do that. But we're going to be hitting the ground running with that right away. We wanted to let you know as well. And if you've been around here, you know that we're in our third week of a series that we're calling The Country Life, where we're talking a lot about relationships and how do we navigate relationships And you probably know that it's true that oftentimes I think our success in life is measured by how successful we are in relationships. And you know also that you're navigating lots of different kinds of relationships in your life. You've got your relationship with God. You've got your relationship maybe with a spouse, with your family, with your friends, maybe romantic relationships that you're navigating. And what we know to be true is that oftentimes some of the greatest sources of joy in our life come from relationships But also sometimes some of the greatest sources of pain come from our relationships and how we navigate those. The band's going to sing a song here for us, a country tune that talks a little bit about both sides of that equation. Let's listen in. in the dark And the memories keep on turning To the rhythm of a broken heart You only need a roof when it's raining You only need a fire when it's cold 
Yeah, I have to follow that. How awesome is that? We're talking about relationships, and today we're going to talk about dating. You know, we we just don't get a ton of opportunities to talk about that in church environments. You know, it seems like we talk about marriage a lot, different relational things, but we don't often talk a ton about it. But if you're married, I just want to ask you right now, don't check out. Don't check out on me. Don't start making a grocery list that you're gonna go shopping for later in the day. I want you to try to stay with me because here's what I believe is true. Even if maybe you're not in a place right now where dating is on your radar screen, my belief is that there's people in your life that that is true of them. And maybe you could be that person that would get your arm around them and help them walk through uh, this new season in their life. Because dating isn't just a a high school, college, young adult thing anymore. When we look at our culture and we look at just even the raw statistics, people are waiting longer and longer and longer to get married these days. And because of the incredible divorce rates in our country, oftentimes people find themselves at middle age in a place of of dating again, maybe in a place that they never thought they were going to be before. And it was interesting, just this week I saw a commercial for an online dating 
deal that was just for people over the age of 50. Dating isn't just for kids. There are a lot of people out there that find themselves in this situation and they're trying to wrestle through, you know, how do, how do I navigate this area of my life? They're asking questions like, why am I single? Why is it that I don't have someone in my life? And if I am single, sometimes people ask, is there something wrong with me? Is there something that I need to do? How do I deal with these very real desires that I have? God-given desires to have a relationship with another person. Is there just one person for me? And what if, what if I miss? What if I already missed that one person? And maybe I'm in a relationship with someone right now. How do I know if this one is the one? You know, because it might seem like Mr. Right, but it might just be Mr. Right now. They just happen to be in my life where I'm at. How do I develop relationships in ways that honor God and protect me? People all over the place are asking that question. And I've got to admit, even from the Christian perspective, there are tons of opinions out there on this very topic. If you went out right now and Googled Christian dating books, you would get somewhere between two and three million posts that you could look at. There are tons being talked about and written about there. It was fun just even looking at some of the titles of some of the most popular books. One of the most popular ones is I Kiss Dating Goodbye. Like I just gave up on that whole thing. But then that's gonna be right next to the book that says I gave dating a chance. And that's gonna be right next to another book that says dating, I think we've missed the point. There's another book that's called, uh, this, is my, this is my favorite, The Dating Manifesto, a drama-free plan for pursuing marriage with purpose. Lots being written out there. Now, I, I wanna say right up front that I've read exactly zero of these books. Because I know, but I know what's in them. There's lots of different people that are saying, this is God's perspective on how we navigate this season of life. And this is where I think we can actually get onto pretty thin ice by saying this is God's perspective on this. Is because this book, which is our final authority in all things, doesn't speak directly to this topic of dating. It really wouldn't make any sense for this book to talk about that because this book was written in a context of primarily uh, arranged marriages. So what I've decided to do today is I'm gonna give you my best shot on saying why I think we need to go back to arranged marriages. That's what we're gonna talk about today. As a father of three, I'm very into that at this point. But the Bible doesn't speak very directly to this issue, but I also wanna say that it doesn't mean that the Bible is silent on this either. Because what we know for sure is that God's desire for us to experience intimacy with people, even to experience romance and sex, marriage, all those things were his idea from the very beginning. He's got lots to say about that. So we're gonna go back to the very beginning of this book that we base our life on. And at the very beginning, we see that from Genesis chapter two, we see God is creating. God is making the stars, the moon, the earth, and he makes man. And after everything that he makes, there's a phrase that he says, he says, and it was good. It was very good. But then when we get to the middle of chapter two, there's a place where God actually talks about something that's not good. 
something that is not okay. And that's where we're gonna jump in today. Genesis chapter two, starting in verse 18. The Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Guys, God's just saying what we've known all along. We are not gonna be okay by ourselves. Am I right? We need help in life. That's what God is pointing out. We already know that. Amen. Amen. We got an amen right there. Not long ago, my wife and I were out for a walk and we love doing that. It's just an opportunity for us to connect and kind of decompress and talk about the things that are on our heart. We'd been on this walk for a while and it had been kind of quiet for a long time. And I think each of us probably thinking about some things internally. And finally, she just kind of stopped and she looked up at me. She had this serious, serious look in her face. And she said, when we die, I hope you die first. And I was like, okay, I don't know exactly what you mean, but I'm going to need some context for that comment there. And she goes, no, 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 this is what I mean. I was just thinking about just like how messy your car is. I do have a messy car. But this is how she was seeing this in her mind, that messy car. If I die, our house and our kids are going to, they're going to live in squalor. So I hope that if one of us goes first, I hope you die first. But she said, but if I die first, will you promise me? Will you promise me you'll hire somebody to clean our house? I don't want my kids living in squalor. It's not good for man to be alone. But God saw the problem. He saw the problem for Adam. He sees the problem for us. And God steps in. He goes to solve the problem. But it's really interesting to me what exactly it was that God did next as he goes to solve this problem. Verse 19, it says, Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the beasts of the field and all the birds of the air. He brought them to the man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds of the air, and the beasts of the field. But... No, for Adam, no suitable helper was found. Now, I read that and I just think, I'd love to just have gotten into the mind of Adam. You know, God says it's not good for you to be alone. So then all of a sudden, God gives him this job of starting to name the animals. Like, hour after hour, day after hour. I don't even know how long that took. It took a long time to name all the animals. You think your eHarmony matches are bad? Imagine what was going on in Adam's mind. God's going to try to bring a helper to him, and all he sees is animals going by. I mean, he's probably just thinking, you know, God, I'm lonely, but I am not hippopotamus lonely. There is no way. And I'm sure Adam was one, one of those little pity parties. You know how we can get. There's just nobody out there for me. There's just no one. But this is what the Lord does. He solves the problem for Adam. Verse 21, he says, So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, Now that's what I'm talking about. <laughs> kind of loosely translated there a little bit. This is what he says. He says, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. 
the man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. Now just think about that. We just look at this one little chunk of scripture and we realize that man starts out incredibly lonely and a few verses later, he's naked with his wife. That's the process right there. That's where we want to end up. But we've got to admit that there's not a real roadmap there in between that the rest of us can follow in our lives. But I want us to think about if this was the only thing that God ever said about dating and relationships, I think there's a couple things that we could grab from this that I think will serve us as we think about navigating our own dating relationships. One is that we would come to the belief, first and foremost, God cares. He saw the problem. He said, this is not good. He cared about Adam. And the second thing that we see is that God helps. He steps in to help Adam solve the problem. We've got to come to the place where we realize God cares and he's willing to help if we're going to put our life in his hands and trust him with this area of our life. But if you know the storyline of the Bible, what we just read right there, if we just turn the page just a little bit, we see that things get complicated in a hurry. See, this beautiful, intimate relationship, this marriage that God created, suddenly goes haywire because man and wife decided we want to do this on our own. They rejected God. They said, we want to do life our way. And that relationship with God became broken. And they wanted to hide from God. But not only did their relationship with God get broken, their relationship with each other was broken. Suddenly they realized that they were naked and there was shame and they wanted to cover up and hide from each other. Brokenness entered the world. And friends, this is the challenge that we face is this is the world that we live in. We are trying to navigate our life and dating relationships in the context of a broken world. But the question that I have is what can we do as followers of Jesus to redeem what's been broken so that we can follow God in the ways that he would invite us to even in our dating relationships in this broken world? And to unpack this, what I wanna do is I want us to look at three principles in our life that we can apply. And I think these principles apply to dating that they apply broader to lots of areas of our life. But then I wanna get really practical and talk about six questions that we can ask when we're standing on the footsteps or on the doorstep of a relationship, what are questions that we can ask about someone that we're thinking about dating? The first principle is this, don't wait to live, learn to really live now. Here's what can happen to us. So many times we can think that there's this thing out there that if I can just get this, if I can get a hold of this, maybe it's a relationship, maybe it's a marriage, Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's landing a deal. It can be different things for different people. But we imagine that there's thing, this thing out there that if I can just get a hold of that in my life, then everything's going to be okay. And what we can do is we can just kind of wish our life away in the moment because we're so focused on just getting that thing. Learn to live your life now. Don't wait. Don't wait thinking that finding Mr. Right, finding that marriage is going to solve everything in your life, that loneliness. And I want us to think just a little bit. Just ask the honest question. Just look at the lives around you. Look at the married lives around you. And I want to ask this sincerely. Are married people that much happier than single people? 
You know, if we look just statistically at the divorce rates, we've got to believe that there's something going wrong, that not necessarily married people are always happier. And of those marriages that stay together, how many of those marriages are thriving? Those are questions that I think we need to ask because here's what needs to be true of us. Wherever we're at, we need to be content. Because here's what I know is true. Being single is way better, infinitely better than being in a bad relationship or a bad marriage. It wouldn't take me very long to parade people by here that would tell you if you're thinking about a relationship, wait, don't rush into that. Because a bad relationship or a bad marriage is way more difficult than being single. And a friend of mine said, I love how she said this. In her experience, she said, happy and content single people tend to make happy and content married people. And you know what? I think the Apostle Paul had that same thought in mind when he talked to the church in Philippi, Philippians chapter 4. He said this. He said, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. He says, I have learned the secret. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Paul understood contentment. And now to be fair, in this text right here, he's talking about financial provision, but that extends into all areas of our life, this idea of contentment. And here's the secret. He calls it a secret because a secret means that not a lot of people get it. Not a lot of people know something. This is what Paul is talking about. This is, I think, how Paul would define contentment. Contentment is the belief that God And whatever he chooses to provide at any moment in my life is all I need. At any moment in my life, whatever it is that God chooses to provide, that is all I need. So friends, it's really a faith issue. Am I going to trust God in all areas of my life, but specifically in my relationship part of my life, in my dating part of my life? Do I really trust God? And friends, I'll say it again, don't wait to live. Don't, don't live your life in kind of a holding pattern, waiting and just thinking that this other thing's going to come along that's going to make us complete. Learn to live your life now. And a second principle is a very simple one, and it's this. Grow. Just simply grow. Focus your life goals on growing as a person. And here's the way I think you can apply this real specifically to your dating life. What I think would be really helpful for everyone who's thinking about stepping into a relationship is actually to sit down and make a list of like, what would be the characteristics of someone that I would want to step into a relationship with? What would be the things that would be true of their life? What would be the things that would be on your list? Maybe in your list you'd say, I want someone that passionately pursues God as the first and foremost thing in their life. They're chasing after him. They're listening to him. They're following him more than any other thing in their life. Maybe your list would include, I want someone that's emotionally healthy. Maybe your list would include what would be on mine, someone that's willing to forgive because I know that I'm gonna need forgiveness. Maybe it's someone that serves other people 
That's just kind of the rhythm of their life. That's just how they respond to others. They're a servant of people. I would want someone maybe that has deep relationships with people, not just superficial relationships, but deep relationships with people, deep and broad, lots of people in their life. Maybe a good work ethic. Maybe someone who keeps their word. Maybe someone who's authentic. Maybe someone that's vulnerable. Whatever your list is, make your list and be really specific. And this is what I think would be the best thing for you to do with your list. Take that list and put it up somewhere where you're gonna see it over and over and over again. Maybe on the mirror in your bathroom or on the nightstand beside your bed, someplace where you're gonna see it. And this is what I want you to do with your list. Get down on your knees, look up to heaven and say to God, God, by your grace, would you make me into that kind of person? God, would you make me into that kind of person? You notice what I didn't say? I didn't say, ask God, would you find me that kind of person? God, would you make me into that kind of person? Because here's what we think. We think the hard work in relationship is the looking, the hunting, the finding. I've got to put all my energy into finding the right kind of person. What I need to put my energy into is becoming the right kind of person. Because to find the right person, you need to be the right person. To find the right person, you need to be the right person. Because here's what I know to be true. People that are spiritually healthy in their life, you know what kind of people they're attracted to? They're attracted to spiritually healthy people. Emotionally healthy people in life, you know what kind of people they're attracted to? They're attracted to emotionally healthy people. This is so important. Seek to become the person that you want to find. Don't just spend all your time looking. Seek to become the person that you want to find. And the last principle is a question that I think anyone that's thinking about stepping into a relationship with someone has got to ask honestly, and they've got to answer it honestly. And the question is simply this, who completes you? Who completes you? Who makes you whole? I want to show you a little movie clip. I didn't realize that this movie was as old as it was. It makes me feel old. It was like 20 years ago. But at the time, this was kind of a famous movie clip that people were talking about. I want to show it to you. We live in a cynical world. A cynical world. And we work in a business of tough competitors. You complete me. And I just had. Shut up. Just shut up. You had me at hello. You had me at hello. You had me at hello. Some, some of you, that just, that just sounds so great. It's probably moved some hearts in here, even as we sat here. Friends, I want to be as bold and as honest as I can. That is a lie. That is an absolute lie. If we believe that another person is going to give us the sense of value that we're longing for, 
that sense of self-worth, that sense of identity, that sense of significance. If we think another person on the planet can do that for us, we are not gonna do well in relationships. Friends, God and God alone is meant to complete us, is meant to be able to meet those deepest needs of value and significance and identity. God and God alone. Friends, it's the gospel. It is the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ is the only thing, the only thing that is big enough and powerful enough to complete us. If we try to do it any other way, we're gonna be left holding the bag. We're gonna be left holding the bag. Because in the gospel, this is what's true. God looks down at you. And the one whose opinion matters most, his declaration matters above everything else. In the gospel, he says, you are valuable to me. He declares that. He says, I would rather send my son to die in your place than spend eternity apart from you. And Jesus says to him, I would rather die in your place. I would do that for you. Friends, that's the only thing that has the power and the capacity to complete us. If we try to do that with another person, we're not going to do well in relationships. Now, I want to just get really practical now because I want us to look at six different questions that I think are helpful as we think about stepping into a relationship with someone. And the first question that we need to ask is this, is this person a committed Christ follower? Now, I I imagine there might be some people out here that you you don't follow Christ. And me even just saying that might sound offensive to you. But I want to tell you really clearly what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that Christ followers are better than you. I'm not even saying that Christ followers are more emotionally healthy than you. But I want you to understand why this is so important to God. Because by definition, someone who follows Christ has made him the king of their life. He calls the shots in their life. There's one voice and one voice alone that they're seeking to follow in their life. And that's Jesus Christ. That's what it means to be a Christ follower. And this is how the Apostle Paul helps illustrate why this is so important. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, he gives this simple command to us. He says, do not be yoked together with unbelievers. Now just, just get a visual if you can of what he's talking about when he's talking about a yoke this farm implement that would tie two oxen together. And what made the yoke work is when there's one master that is talking to both oxen. Imagine what it would be like if each oxen had a different master that they were listening to. It would be so frustrating for both of them. And that's the picture that Paul's giving us here. Don't be yoked together with someone that doesn't have the same master as you. It's going to be frustrating for you and it's going to be frustrating for them. We need to be tied together in relationship with people that have the same master as us. Otherwise, it's like trying to build a house using two different sets of plans. It's just not going to work. Does this person have the same master that I do? A second question to ask is, could this person be my best friend? Could this person be my best friend? And to unpack this a little bit, I want to explain to you some different ways that the Bible uses the word love. There's different words that it uses. One word that it uses is a word called eros, which is romantic kind of love, where we would get our word erotic from that. There's another kind of love that the Bible talks about, which is phileo, which is friendship kind of love, 
where we get a, like the word Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love, that friendship kind of love. And the Bible also talks about another kind of love called agape, which is a love that's rooted in commitment. It's an unconditional kind of love. It's God's kind of love toward people. But here's what I think happens in American dating culture. We start with the wrong kind of love. We start with the eros kind of love. Like when we meet people, the question oftentimes that we're asked, when we meet groups of people is, who's cute? Who do I like? Who makes my heart flutter? We don't get to the point where we're asking, could this person be my best friend? We're just asking, what kind of attraction is there? What kind of chemistry is there? And because I worked with college students for almost 20 years, you just watch how these relationships often go. Is that these relationships become emotionally entwined? And because oftentimes we don't even put any kind of guards around our physical life, these become physically enmeshed relationships. And we never get to the point where we're asking the question, could this person be my best friend? And by the time we maybe start to ask that question, if we've been with the eros kind of love in a relationship, our emotions just get so twisted and skewed because of the physical connection that we have with someone. We don't get to the place where we ask, could this person be my best friend? And then what happens oftentimes is when we decide, I don't know that this person could be my best friend, we break up. And we think it's just a simple breakup. If we've been involved with someone physically, it's not just a simple breakup. Because what I'm talking about, those kind of relationships, biblically, those look a lot more like a marriage than they do a dating relationship. That's what the Bible's talking about when it's talking about marriage. It's not just a piece of paper. It's that physical relationship. Well, we don't just break up from that without leaving parts of our life behind with another person. We've got to start by asking the question, could this person be my best friend? And it's so interesting as I spent, like I said, so many years working with young people. And they get to that place where they're just saying, there's just nobody out there for me. There's just no good ones left. And I start to think about them and their friend group. And I think, man, there are some amazing people in their life. And I start to throw out some ideas to them. And it's just amazing to me. They're like, they look at me like I'm crazy. Like, well, she's, she's like my friend. Like, like that's an automatic disqualifier. You know, this person, they're just my friend. The friend zone is not a disqualifier. The friend zone, friends, is the place where we start. Could this person be my best friend? A third question that we need to ask is, can this person make and keep a commitment? When you look at their life, is there a track record of making and keeping commitments? Do they keep their word? Do they keep their word even in the small things, even when it doesn't matter? Are they trustworthy? Have you ever experienced any kind of deceit with them? Is there a history of them following through? And I just want to say, if you're moving toward a relationship and you're not confident with the answers to those questions, I want to just say, hit the brakes on that relationship. And this is why. Because if this relationship is going to work, and maybe just imagine that maybe this relationship is going to go the distance, go the distance to marriage, if these things aren't true in a person's life, that's the scariest decision I would ever make is to step into a marriage relationship with them because this is what is true about marriage. Marriage at its very core, it is a commitment. 
It's not just emotions that we have toward someone. Marriage is a commitment. I love how Tim Keller says it. He says, marriage is a future appointment that I make with myself. And what he means by that is, when I stand at the altar and I say I do, what I'm saying is that one year from now, I'm gonna be here across from you. Five years from now, I'm gonna be here across from you. 20 years, until I have breath taken away from me, I am gonna be here with you. That is a commitment. If a person can't keep a commitment in small things, why would we ever trust them with one of the most precious things in our life, a marriage? We need to have people that we can trust, not just in the big things, the little things, but also in the big things. A fourth question to ask is, does this relationship change me for the better? Now, I used this scripture a couple weeks ago when I taught talking about relationships in general, but I think it is so applicable to dating and romantic relationships. Hebrews 10, 24, it says, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds. A relationship that you're in, does it spur you on in your relationship with God and in your faith in him? Or does it drag you down? When you spend time with this person, does it make you want to be more like Christ? Are you inspired to be more like the Son of God? Or do you feel pulled in another direction to be more like the world? Which is it? A question that I think is helpful, do I like who I am when I'm around them? Can I be fully who I am and love who I am when I'm around them? Does this person bring out the best in me? When I think about my relationship with my wife, I, it's just hands down, there's nobody on the planet that loves me the way that she loves me. I call her my greatest cheerleader in life. She is such an encourager in my life. She loves me, but she's not impressed with me. She is willing to say the hard things to me. She's willing to make me be a better man, to help me become a better man, a better husband, a better father. We need to have relationships like that that change us for the better. A fifth question to ask is, are we heading in the same direction in life? And the reason we have to ask that is because for every one of us, we have got to do what it is that God is asking us to do. Our eyes need to be fixed on him. What is his calling on our life? Where is it that he is moving me to? Because why would I yoke my life to someone who's not heading in the same direction as me? And so many times I've been asked by people like, well, how do you know for sure if you're heading in the same direction in life? And I've heard this illustration and I just thought it was the best one. They said, this is how you decide if you're heading in the same direction in life. You put on blinders and you fix your eyes on Jesus. Fix our eyes on him, the author and perfecter of our faith. We fix our eyes on him and we run hard. I feel really silly running like this. But we run hard after him in what it is that he's calling us to do. And every once in a while, we drop the blinders and we look around and see if anybody's running next to us. How you doing over there? That's how you know if there's someone that is running in the same. You run hard after Jesus. Run hard after the things that he is calling you to. And look around and just see who's running with me. Who's about the same things that I'm about in life? Are we heading in the same direction in life? 
And the last question is this. Is there a growing affection, attraction, and love? Because earlier when I started, I, I talked about we don't put eros first. We don't put the romance or the chemistry first. And I think that's absolutely true. But what I also want to say is it's not irrelevant either. Is there a growing sense of attraction, affection, and love in a relationship? And if those things are true, if all of those questions are true, we move in to a friendship kind of relationship that will move itself toward commitment. I want to ask you to set your things aside as the band is coming up. And if I could, friends, I just want to pray over you. I don't know where everyone's at in their relationships right now, but I just want to pray God's blessing over you and your decision-making around your relationships. Father, we are so grateful that even though this world can be confusing and relationships can be confusing and it doesn't always seem black and white, God, we know that it's your heart to provide for us in this way in our lives. And God, we just want to say today we trust you. We want to declare our allegiance to you. And we want to lay this part of our life at your feet, Lord, and ask you to do with it whatever you would want to do. Lord, I just pray your blessing and your protection on my friends here. And for those maybe that aren't even in a dating relationship, God, I pray, maybe they're in a marriage relationship, God, I pray that they would get their arms around people that are and encourage them to follow you wholeheartedly in this area of their life. God, we love you and we're so thankful to be your kids. And it's in your name, Jesus, that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.